Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up on the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least. But there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic, grain, and energy solutions born of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit FSSystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. It was a fairly quiet and mixed trading day scene on Wednesday. Welcome to Market Talk. Thanks for joining us here today. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Great to have you with us once again. Kind of like watching paint dry in the markets on Wednesday. Not a whole lot of activity to talk about. Just not a lot of movement we saw for the most part. Uh, wheat kind of the leader to the upside beans and meal found a little bit of support through the day and corn just chopped around unchanged just not a whole lot of fresh news to drive the markets mixed activity in the livestock trade as well do have some fears on the outside markets on wall street with some of the different earnings reports out this week and economic data out thursday and friday as well we're going to talk about the market trade coming up here in segment two and three today with mike zuzalo global commodity analytics he is our guest he'll be joining us coming up here in just a little bit also we're going to have a conversation with a couple of folks from basf talking about their scn action month and some of the trials they did back last year late last year and some of the new products that they have available to help fight soybean cyst nematode and more that's coming up here at the end of the show today Right now, though, let's get a little bit of a uh, look at how the markets were on Wednesday with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stone X. I talked to Arlen around midday on Wednesday, started off the conversation discussing just the quietness in the trade on the grain side, including uh, soybeans moving off the overnight lows into Wednesday's session, finding a little support there. We also get Arlen's thoughts on some of the economic concerns out there, the market this week. Uh, on Wall Street and a little bit of a look at the livestock trade as well as we work through midweek. Here are comments with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. Yeah, we're kind of stuck in that time of year and we lack a lot of headlines to really drive the market. And we've got nervousness in the outside market, which is a number of key data reports coming out over the next couple of days and then the Federal Reserve meeting next week. And so nervousness there. But we really come down to some technical aspects or chart-related aspects. We saw wheat fall to new lows in recent days, and that brought attention to the fact that speculative fund managers have very large short or sold positions in this wheat market. What happens if something triggers them to get out of those short positions? This is a time of year where there's no other real natural sellers to offset if they want to be buyers. And that could give us a sharp rally in price. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but that's a risk to somebody who's in this market. So there's a little nervousness there and some saying maybe we need to start getting out. And that's creating a little bit of near-term strength. And that's fundamentally aided by the fact that India is trying to cool some of their red-hot inflation there and dump some wheat onto their market, which means just how tight they are in supplies. 
Soybeans tried to break below the key on the bottom of the ascending channel on the charts, and uh, selling just dried up around the 50-day moving average. There wasn't enough follow-through there, so then they turned back higher again. Um, but this market continues to test the downside potential of this market. And corn, we're just kind of chopping and holding in here, like you said, waiting for some type of news. We know the Argentine crop is tight. Well, is small because of drought. We know Ukraine is largely absent from the market, but we have adequate supplies for now. Is that enough to get us by? So this market is really chopping around and watching until we get a little further into the year and have some headlines to drive us. You mentioned the outside markets and the nervousness there. Can you set the table for us? What are some of the key things you're watching here the next couple of days with some of those earnings reports, Arlen? Well, we look at the durable goods orders. You mentioned earnings reports, and a lot of them coming out kind of set in zone. And that's been giving Wall Street kind of sense, you know, we're kind of making this through this. Maybe we're going to be all right. But the nerves come from the fact that we had durable goods orders from December coming out tomorrow. Our first look at fourth quarter gross domestic product, which is expected to show 2.7% growth in the fourth quarter. That's not bad considering all the challenges. Uh, personal consumption expenditures expected to be up 2.6%. That suggests more inflationary pressures there with the consumer still spending. Uh, then we look at uh, uh, consumer sentiment data coming out, weekly jobless claim data coming out, showing in recent reports been showing still a tight jobs market. The Fed's National Activity Index showing just more data on the economy and how it's holding up. Inflation data on Friday morning uh, from the PCE index and then the Fed meeting next week. So there's a lot of potential headline risks there for the outside markets. And one of the reasons we're lower today. And real quick, uh, fairly quiet day in the livestock trade. Any news of note there or anything you're keeping an eye on here midweek? Uh, this is a market struggling between weak consumer demand uh, and tightening supplies of cattle while hog supplies are adequate right now. So overall, hogs are still struggling. After a big break that we had, we're cons consolidating, but nothing really suggests rallying. So we look at the cattle market, uh, very little cash activity. It's probably going to wait till the end of the week. Expectations are the steady to firmer, but we have to see how it'll play out with the packers really being willing to be patient. And again, that is market analysis with Arlen Suderman of Stonex talking to Arlen around midday on Wednesday. Well, the ag economists at the University of Illinois have lowered their projections for the average corn price expected for this year's crop down to $5.10 per bushel. And economist Joe Jansen says farmers will be facing a tighter profitability in the coming year. I look at the supply and demand fundamentals. I think you have to expect that the U.S. corn crop in 2023 will be larger than the one in 2022. And I think you have to look at the headwinds that we face in terms of both export demand and some of the domestic demand factors. And it doesn't take much to kind of push this market over that edge where we revert to sort of longer run, lower price levels. And that's where we know markets go in the long run. The cure for high prices is high prices, as they say. That's why the University of Illinois economics team came up with the season average price of 510 per bushel. It's important to know what that price is that's based on USDA's methodology for calculating the season average price, the price that we're going to see across the whole marketing year for the 2023-24 crop. I think you have to expect that that'll be lower, but there are opportunities to make sales at prices, you know, significantly above that if you're willing to commit today.
For old crop corn still in the bin, he says there's headwinds there, too. For corn, export sales pace is behind expectations. We had a smaller corn crop in general in the United States, not here in Illinois, but in general in the United States this year. So there's maybe a little bit less to move, particularly if you're someone out in the Western Corn Belt. But there's, yeah, a crop to move at what are historically very high prices. And Jansen adds exports have been nothing less than disappointing. I don't know if it's an underplayed story, but we really have relied on Chinese demand for U.S. corn in the last two years. Prior to that, we didn't sell very much corn to China. We've sold a lot of corn to China in the last two years, and they're not buying quite as much as they did. That's kind of changed the nature of uh, the export picture for corn. And again, that is University of Illinois economist Joe Jansen. Very interesting stuff there from the University of Illinois. And I think it just goes to show that we're going to have plenty of volatility in these markets here as we move forward this year. And with the high cost of inputs, it's going to be important to definitely stay on your toes and stay sharp with that pencil here when it comes to your marketing decisions. Speaking of staying sharp with your pencil and your marketing decisions, we're going to get some thoughts and insight coming up here after the break. Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics, he joins us next. We're back with more market talk of the way right after this. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, on Wednesday, we saw wheat, soybeans, soybean meal finish with a little bit of strength. The corn market just kind of chopped around unchanged and mixed activity in livestock in an overall quiet day, it felt like. In the ag trade, we're going to discuss that and more. Joining us today, our good friend Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics, is with us. And Mike, good to have you back on the show, sir. And, you know, I made the comment to you. It felt like uh, I made the comment off air. It felt like watching paint dry the market a little bit on Wednesday. Just a fairly quiet day with not a ton of news headlines to drive us. No, we had those early export sales reported for both corn and beans to unknown destinations, Jesse. And it seemed like those export sales really stuck to the wall in the price action in the soybean complex. But the corn actually, after going up and testing and going through its 200 day moving average by just a smidge in the March contract, then started to sell off late in the session. Two things I think were driving that later trade in the corn. The first one was probably an updated private weather forecast about Argentina, talking about early February turning back off hot and dry and how that would probably hurt the bean production the most versus the corn. Now, I have to kind of qualify that and say the corn production's probably been decimated at this point. So, um, yes, there's more to lose in soybeans. And so if you look at it from that perspective, I do think that maybe created an environment where those people who had been buying corn and selling beans earlier this week maybe wanted to reverse that spread trade because that mm -hmm. South American weather all of a sudden turned better. But I think the biggest thing that turned the corn lower was late in the day, news wires throughout the ag ministry from uh, Mexico, uh, one of their key ministers saying that the, he wanted to, and Mexico wanted to cut corn imports by 30 to 40% by 2024. And I think those headline driven things on a day, as you say, kind of like a low volatility paint drying type day, they seem to make a bigger splash in the pond. They definitely do. Well, I know there's a lot of things uh, in the forefront here that we want to take a look at today. 
And I, I want to talk uh, how the economy is weighing into things. The U.S. dollar, I know there's some concerns on Wall Street here with different economic reports coming out this week, et cetera. You provided a chart for us here. This is uh, a dollar index in the Deutsche Bank Ag Commodity Index. So I know we've uh, we've seen this chart from you before. We've been following along with it a little bit. What's the latest you're seeing as you take a look at uh, how these two are acting together, the relationship here, Mike? Yeah, great question. I, I To just do a little bit of a review, if you go back all the way to the beginning of the chart right after the financial crisis in 2009, you notice these two assets started to develop a very strong negative relationship with one another. And so with the dollar staying low from 2009 to mid-2014, you had a lot more up in the Deutsche Bank Ag Commodity Index. Ag, ag uh, Commodity Index uh, uh, ETF is mainly what they trade in that. Um, but then as we started to see the dollar go higher in 2014 and then really launch up to another level in 2015 and then 2016, you see this general slide in the DB Ag Commodity Index. And that's where the trade started to get into more of a deflationary mindset. And then in 2020, they both started to go up together. So that negative, strong negative relationship with one another, which made sense because emerging markets and commodities are often associated with one another. Um, and if the dollar's going down, that that's, tends to help emerging markets, which tends to help commodities. All of a sudden in 2020, they both found a bid for different reasons. And I think now that we're in 2022, with the Fed rate hikes getting ready to maybe get more neutralized next month, and we'll get an update from them uh, next week on the 31st and on the 1st of February, we're still waiting with that big decline in the dollar. That's the orange line. Notice how that 101.50 level, Jesse, gets us back to the top end of the range traded in the highs of 2015, 2016, and 2020. So we've had a big break in the dollar index. My 2023 analysis that I'm doing for my upcoming webinars and seminars is a range-bound dollar, that there's very few reasons to choose the dollar as a safe haven again, especially if the Federal Reserve lets off the gas pedal. Um, and that should help bring this agriculture commodity index in purple back around. So we've had a big break in both, but what we should start to see if we have more of a normalized market is if the dollar stays weaker, that purple ag commodity index should start to turn higher. And it's it's starting to just a little bit right now. And I think that means a lot to the wheat, especially. Well, I know you know, you bring up wheat. And that's, a, that's a good point to, to maybe stay on here because obviously with these wheat markets, I've heard a lot of talk about uh, a lot of short positions by fund managers in the wheat markets right now. I wonder if we continue to see the dollar remain weaker, if we get some sort of uh, short covering rally, what that could do to these wheat markets. And throw on top of that, I've lost sight of the Black Sea region. We got reports of a Turkish vessel being hit by a missile on Wednesday. So it seems like there's a lot of things in this wheat market to kind of go along with that chart you uh, showed us here as well that really need to we need to keep an eye on it feels like yeah i mean the soft red wheat net short position by managed money funds and the commitment to traders report for both futures and options is at its biggest net short since 2019 since mid 2019 and that is pretty clear that the reason for that was a the dollar was rallying b the funds did not decide that the uh, Russian war was going to get worse and the Baltic situation was going to get worse and they could take out risk premium in part because of big Russian stocks and big Australian stocks. 
I think that's all being reevaluated. Even and you're right, this missile strike is part of a larger narrative of Abrams tanks now going to Ukraine, heavy armor from a NATO nation, Germany sending Leopard 2 very high level tanks, again, a NATO nation sending heavy armament into the Ukrainian war. And I think this really opens the door, like we've talked about a lot of times, to the idea of an escalation and a broader based war that the market has not kept that risk premium in. And, you know, the USDA already told us in their last wheat outlook and their grain outlook that the corn acreage base in Ukraine was going to be down at least 20 percent this upcoming year. I don't think the trade's really gotten their hands around all of that yet, but I think maybe with some of these things happening now uh, in specific areas of of Germany, U.S., NATO allies jumping into Ukraine, and also the potential for Turkey, who was a friend of Russia, to potentially have a strike on one of its vessels, really throws out the issue that maybe Russia is um, seeing themselves as a lone wolf at this point and will do maybe anything they have to to stay alive as long as they have to. And I think that's the way Vladimir Putin operates. It's not a surprise. He's been that way his whole political life, going all the way back to taking out Boris Yeltsin from the leadership position of that new federation, that new Russian federation after the fall of the Soviet Union. So I will beat the drum again and say they just don't have enough weather premium for the hard red wheat belt. And they certainly, in my opinion, don't have enough uh, risk premium for the geopolitics that we're probably going to face the next 60 days. Well, and that comes back to uh, the thought that I know you've had for quite some time, as you mentioned, kind of beating the drum, you know, wheat being an upside leader and how these grains need wheat to be the upside leader to help us break through some of that overhead resistance. And I, you know, watch soybeans towards the bottom end of their downtrending channel, corn choppy. So I think it all kind of circles itself back there, Mike, to the fact that, you know, wheat needs to be the upside leader if we want to bust out of some of these ranges we've been in. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think I'll throw one more thing on top of that. I'm looking at all my 2023 acreage base numbers that I've now developed. Mm -hmm. And if we have 48 to 40 and a half million uh, acres of all wheat and we keep a decent demand base because of a dollar that's locked into more of a channel, we can't really build the carryover here in this country, Jesse. And so it really, I guess, as I said to someone else today, Maybe my price analysis that I do on my spreadsheets that suggested a 570 or 580 carryover soft red wheat should be closer to 950 instead of 750. Maybe that's not right, but I do think that it's probably going to end up being right that we really are in deep undervalued territory and have taken premium out. So much like the hog complex right now, I think the wheat complex is one of those situations where if you have to sell, be very prepared to reown it. If you get some strong buy signals, <clears throat> excuse me, buy signals, that buy signal to me, the first one would be now that we've gotten back up to last week's levels, can we take out last week's highs on a weekly basis? And I think that would be indicative of a long term trend line and sentiment change in this market that you maybe want to get some reownership on the books. And once again, we're having a conversation with Mike Zuzlo of Global Commodity Analytics. Coming up here after the break, we'll continue that discussion. We'll talk a little more soybeans and corn. Also take a look at livestock. Can this hog market find a bottom or not? We are going to discuss that more. Coming up after the break, back with more Market Talk right after this. 
Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics is our guest here today on the show. Mike, uh, one other thought, the soy complex feels like it's largely in a weather market, a South American weather market right now to an extent. Uh, I know we were talking a little bit about uh, some better uh, weather models coming out here uh, for Argentina and Brazil that might be a little bullish to beans, might have gave us a little bit of that strength, but just feels like we're, we're trading weather for the most part here in this soy complex uh, as we kind of move forward with a lack of other news to trade off of. Yeah, we still have that gap above the chart in the meal in the weekly chart around 492, so about $30 a ton higher than where the March is about sitting after today's close. We still have a July no bean spread that's trading about $1.40 premium to the July, which traditionally would suggest we don't have enough supply to meet demand, and we're trying to pull the supply forward to meet the near-term demand. Those are both very strong elements to um, what we need at this point, because I think I've seen a change, Jesse, in the way the market for soybeans has traded, um, and it's been from going to buying dips to selling rallies, especially since that last WASI report. Now today on Wednesday uh, was a noted exception. We had the soybeans in the March go right back down and test its 50 day moving average and bounce like a ball. And all of a sudden we see a close back above $15. Very welcome, very needed news to keep the sentiment from getting too negative in the soy complex. So that's kind of, I'm neutral on soybeans. I'm not a long on soybeans. I'd probably rather be a, a long in the meal market because I think that's what's going to have to drive the bus, especially given that we've got an Argentine weather problem, much more than a Brazilian weather problem. And so I don't like the fact that I don't like the fact that Brazil's export price for beans is in the 15s and we're still above 16 at the Gulf. So that's kind of how I see the beans right now. And real quick, corn as well. I know we touched on a few things corn-wise. Anything else on those charts there that you're keeping an eye on, Mike? Yeah, the same with the corn. I mean, the 50-day moving average is extremely important, especially now that we've tested the 200-day moving average. And if we can plow through the 200-day moving average with wheat leading especially, I'm going to assume, like I have been, that the dollar is weak and the crude oil is strong. And then that gives us, I think, the opportunity to maybe stretch our legs up towards that 690, 695 level. But I think that the timing of that probably needs to be relatively soon. Mike, let's flip over to livestock and let's talk hogs. Um, this hog market has just been a rough go of it as of late. We've talked about it, and I, I want to touch on it again. I'm just I'm wondering if we're gonna when we're gonna find that bottom in this hog market. And a fairly choppy day Wednesday. We got a, another chart up on the video screen: the uh, lean hog index with the lead month hog futures. Walk us through what you're seeing here and just some of the latest trends you're seeing here in this hog market right now. You know, these, this chart is really interesting, Jesse, because I've, obviously the lean hog index 
is the key to because the the futures has to match up with the index by the time a futures goes off the board. But in between that futures expiration, they can diverge, and I think that's an important uh, thing to be watching for. And what we see all the way since January, all the way to December is a market where both of them have followed each other and been in a very strong trend with one another. But then in December, the hogs tried to go higher. And I think that was the Chinese buy, that they're coming out of zero COVID, let's buy it with both hands. But notice the cash index did not blink. It actually made new lows going into Christmas. And it tried to bounce with that top in the futures market in purple, but it the the, the Cash index was going nowhere. In fact, it was setting up for another leg lower. So what's the root cause of that index going lower? And that is the pork cutout. So we've got the pork cutout now at about $80. That's a very strong support level going back to 2021. But if we take that out, then we could go back down to 65.70. That's your 2020 lows from like the third and fourth quarter. My take is this, if we can get a low in the cutout, we can get a low in the cash index. And as the February hogs go off the board, it might just be time to step in and reown or buy some April hogs because of this break that we've seen has been so severe. Um, that would also match up with the idea that by the time we get to the end of March, I think China will be back in terms of economically and, and finding maybe a little bit more demand for their pork again uh, from the foreign markets. So that's kind of the, uh, the I, I really enjoy it when these markets go opposite one another, when they should be following one another and then try and figure out what's the most likely thing to bottom. And I think it should be that cutout. Well, and I wonder too, uh, you know, thinking about the retail demand here in the U.S. when it comes to uh, on the hog side, you know, compared to beef, compared to chicken, compared to eggs, I mean, pork is cheap. We got a lot of pork out there, though, to chew through cold storage, et cetera, and in the store. So I wonder, too, if, you know, more people go to the grocery store, start buying pork. If we start to get, you know, pork off the shelves by the time we get to, say, you mentioned March, April, et cetera, wonder what that would do to this hog market potentially. Yeah, I think that works really well with the idea that the cutout can find some support because you're right, the high quality cuts are really cheap. I've been eating a lot of tenderloin, boneless tenderloin, you know, and getting a, a decent piece for two and a half bucks a pound, a really nice piece for three and a half bucks a pound, and it, and it cooks very quickly. I, I think if most consumers are like me, who are, you know, are feeding five to six at a dinner table every night, um, they're really jumping jumping on the pork, and, and especially with high egg prices too. You've got to get that protein substituted somehow, and it seems to me that in 60 days we could consume and chew through a lot of good quality pork at a very undervalued price. So that is kind of what sets up that cutout value, finding a low, and, and if the bacon prices would take another a dip down, I think they too would start to attract some uh, price action and some demand. But we've got to realize that the bacon is closely attached to the egg prices, especially this time of year when we don't have tomatoes on the vine. So that's the, another part of an element of this market that probably many of us didn't think about. If egg prices are high, we're not going to eat as much bacon. I was going to say, bacon prices would come down. I'd eat more bacon. That's for sure. <laughs> Put a little more in my daily diet. 
Right. Cattle market, uh, cattle on feed report last Friday, relatively in line with expectations, it seemed like. Call it fairly neutral considering what the expectations were, which is still fairly bullish overall. Your take on the cattle on feed report and just the, the general, I'll say, quietness of the cattle trade so far this week? Yeah, quiet, especially when it comes to the cash market. And it seems to me that with the non-commercial funds at 93,000 net long right now, and still upwards of a one-year highs in terms of how long they are the live cattle market, um, I think they are waiting for some good cash news or something to be able to drive their price trend because it's very quiet in cattle. The feeders are very closely associated with the corn and moving opposite the corn most days. And then we've talked about the hogs and there's no real foothold in the hogs yet to be able to say, let's buy cattle. In fact, the cattle hog spread breached $80 today. And yesterday, the feeder fat cattle spread, the Jan feeders minus the Feb fat cattle got down to $21. That was a new contract low. So when you look at cattle in relationship to the spreads against hogs and feeders, they have a terrific premium in them right now, Jesse. And I think that's why the market needs to get some cash news. I think cash can pick up. I think we're a little short bought at the packer level. I think the colder weather will attract some packer attention. And I think the uh, bids may perk up here as we get towards the end of the week. But I'm still not sure we don't have a premium being built into the April market. And I've actually started to step in and get a little bit of hedging done in that April at 161.50 plus. Well, Mike, before we wrap it up today and run out of time, any final thoughts you want to share with us? No, I think we've hit everything. I just appreciate you having this uh, program, Jesse, and I'm sure a lot of people appreciate the information that you provide them. And I really thank you for having me on. Of course. Well, I know you're always a wealth of knowledge and we appreciate it too. And I know if folks want to reach out to you and get some marketing advice and talk research and more, I know website, phone call, a lot of ways to get in touch with you, isn't there, Mike? Yeah. And I would really encourage you to try and sign up for a trial and then try and extend yourself to when I start putting some of these 2023 Outlook webinars up on the website. So go to globalcomresearch.com, sign up for the trial or give me a call at 866-471-2588. Quite a few people have been calling in. I appreciate that and keep calling and try and answer your specific questions. Globalcomresearch.com is how you can find it. Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. Always a pleasure, sir. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll talk to you next week. You too, Jesse. Thanks again. And once again, that is Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics. Appreciate him joining us here today on Market Talk. Let's take a look at some of the closing numbers from Wednesday's session before we head to break. March corn, two and a quarter lower, 674 at three quarters. July corn down one and a half, 663 and a quarter. New crop December corn down three and a quarter, 588. March beans, 14 higher, 15.02 and a half. July beans up eight and a half, 14.88 and a quarter. November beans up six and three quarters, 13.44 and three quarters. Bean meal for March up 5.70 a ton, 4.65.15. March bean oil down 44.60.54. March Chicago wheat, six and three quarters higher, 7.41 and a quarter. July up six, 7.50 and a half. KC wheat, March up nine and a half, 8.43 and a quarter. July up eight and three quarters, 8.31. Spring wheat for March up six and a half, nine oh nine and a half. July six higher, eight ninety seven. Oats for March up three at three seventy eight. 
And a look at March cotton up 42 points, 86.66. Meantime, livestock trade on Wednesday, February live cattle down 25, 157.60. April up 25, 161.55. June up 35, 158.20. Feeder cattle January up 45, 179.40. March up 15, 183.75. Lean hogs February down 30, 76.80. April down 5, 85.32. May hogs seven higher, 93.47. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Troy Bauer and Bill Backus with BASF. Going to talk about SCN and more. That's coming up after the break. Back with more Market Talk right after this. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Thanks for joining us here today. Yesterday, late in day, I had a conversation with Troy Bauer and Bill Backus from BASF talking about their SCN Action Month last October, as well as talking about some new products for BASF to help farmers fight soybean cyst nematode and other diseases. Here is that interview. Troy, Bill, good to have you both on the program today. How are you doing? Hey, Jesse, good to be on the, the show today with you. Yeah, Jesse, doing great. Thanks for having us. Well, I appreciate the time. We have a lot to talk about SCN Action Month. This was uh, last October, BASF really uh, had a uh, had an initiative to get soil test kits out to growers here with SCN Action Month. Of course, soybean cyst nematode, a huge problem for our soybean growers. So just to start, uh, Troy, can we kind of recap SCN Action Month and just some of the initiative that BASF had surrounding that? Sure, Jesse. Uh, as you may know, soybean cyst nematodes are the number one pest that soybean growers face in the United States. And so in, in order to raise awareness, we teamed with the SCN Coalition, which is a consortium of uh, university scientists uh, that specialized in nematodes. And uh, we worked with them uh, to raise the awareness. And as part of that, we sent out a lot of uh, test kits to uh, growers and retailers so they could sample their fields and determine what level of soybean cyst nematodes they may have. And then from that, they can determine the appropriate actions forward. And so as part of that, Jesse, uh, uh, we collected those samples and we analyzed them and over three quarters of those samples, we had uh, soybean cyst nematodes detected. That's just amazing. Three quarters of those samples, I mean, Thinking about how big of a problem SCN is, uh, that right there just alludes to it. And it's something that it just uh, it seems like every year keeps getting worse for growers across much of the upper Midwest, doesn't it? Yeah, that's exactly what we find, Jesse. And so as we looked at those results, uh, we actually found that over half of those samples had soybean cyst nematodes at levels. Uh, where they could impact soybean yield potential. So growers need to be aware of that. The longer they grow soybeans, the more soybean cyst nematodes become a problem. And so as part of the Soybean Cyst Nematode Coalition and that uh, action month we hosted, we wanted to raise awareness that in order to manage soybean cyst nematodes, growers need to rotate. Uh, they need to uh, utilize soybeans that have uh, uh, in-plant resistance. And uh, Bill can talk about that as well. But in addition to that, uh, use an effective seed treatment. And BASF has a tremendous uh, seed treatment called Olivo that has activity on soybean cyst nematodes. Well, Bill, can you talk about that a little bit as we think about products that growers can use for this upcoming spring and beyond with Olivo uh, and I know uh, Zatavo soybeans as well. Can you talk about some of those products from BASF? Absolutely, Jesse. Uh, so yeah, Zatavo soybean seed basically uh, owned by MS Technologies and distributed exclusively by BASF 
Well, this year we're actually launching several new varieties. They're going to contain the PI-88788 gene, uh, the native source of resistance. You know, and we've got uh, eight of those that'll have the PI-88788. We also have two that'll contain the Peking source of resistance. So we're really excited to get those launched and out there to help growers manage this and continue in using those, as Troy mentioned, basically in rotations. So we also like to see them, you know, rotate those native traits as well and rotate varieties uh, that we have. So with these uh, great varieties we're bringing, really excited to see what we can do and, and tying that with Olivo and using the uh, the best product on the market to control SDS and SCN. Well, and thinking about having Zetapa soybeans with that Olivo seed treatment on it, that's uh, definitely, uh, that's, that's got to be a game changer for growers to have that protection already on the seed as they're putting it in the ground, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. So like, I'll quote two varieties. So like our two two key ones, like Zotavo uh, 2963, we're seeing about 104.5% of the yield of the test mean, basically when that is used uh, to diversify that SCN control. Another one would be Zotavo XO2613. We're seeing about a 104.3% uh, yield on that one as well. So really excited to see these new varieties launched uh, here. And, in, in, you know, we tested them here last year for the first year. This will really be the first year in 2023. They're out broadly and we'll see what they get do out there in the field trials fantastic well as we think about those products and again think about just scn action month and just being proactive when it comes to controlling soybean cyst nematode troy bill before we wrap it up i'll leave it to both of you any other final thoughts you you want to share as we think about being proactive when it comes to our scn management you know i guess from my standpoint jesse uh, I always think about the uh, proven agronomic knowledge that we have with BASF. We have a great team of business reps and uh, uh, ASAs out there, along with agronomists like uh, Bill and tech reps like, uh, like myself. We can work with growers. We can work with uh, the retailers out there to make sure we get the right recommendations in place and really assist those growers to maximize their yield potential. Bill, any other thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, you, you tie the great varieties together with a great seed treatment, you know, that's definitely going to be one of the best things we can do for the next several years. But, you know, BISF, we're a seeds and traits company, so I probably should mention uh, that we are, you know, looking at and working with our new novel uh, NRS, nem nematode-resistant soybean trait that will be launching the end of the decade. You know, that's really all pending uh, regulatory and export approvals. That's basically a CRY114 protein that's basically in the soybean plant below root or below ground, specifically in the roots, and uh, basically, you know, taking care of the nem nematode by the feeding damage and disabling their nutrient uptake, basically uh, by, uh, you know, stopping everything in the intestines of that nematode. So what we're looking forward to is end of decade stuff, but today is here and now, right? We've got to take care of business now to get to that point at the end of the decade to utilize that new, new, new technology that we're working on. I know as well, if producers want to find out more information, I'm sure contacting a local BASF representative, going online, a lot of different ways to uh, find out more information, isn't there? Yeah, I'd always recommend to uh, reach out to their local uh, business rep or ASA contact, uh, or they can go to uh, the website in order to find out more information. Bill, Troy, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us here today, and I uh, look forward to uh, catching up with both of you again real soon. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Jesse. Thank you, Jesse. And again, interesting stuff there with our friends from BASF, Troy Bauer, Bill Backus. Appreciate them joining me. That's going to do it for Market Talk here today. Coming up tomorrow on the show, we're going to talk to Josh Linville with Stonex about the fertilizer market. Laura Thompson from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln going to join us to talk precision agriculture. And we'll talk markets with Brian Doherty of Total Farm Marketing. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a fantastic rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. 
Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency. So you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information.